Sun goes down, sun comes up. Days can drown in a plastic cup in this town. In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Dee.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to podcast 114. I am Peter and I am Joey. Excellent. I think it's more of an afternoon. It is an afternoon. I was thinking about that last night. I was, uh, wasn't sure what was going to be happening, but it should have been good afternoon. Yeah. Uh, we're too lazy to restart. <laughs> um, so, uh, Joey, did you have a good uh, week? It was all right. Yeah. Yeah. You? I uh, got started on my weekend early. Yeah. Last night I began my weekend. <laughs> I luxuriously slept until 8 a.m. It was wonderful. And then my insurance agent didn't show up to our appointment today at 10 o'clock, so it really threw me completely off. I actually had today off technically, but I still came in for a meeting from 1 to 3, so I had the opposite of a weekend. <laughs> uh, well, you at least got lunch out of it though, right? Yeah, I did get a lunch out of it. All right, that's... that's and she sent. That's most important in life. From the cafeteria. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Any any announcements we need to bring up? No. Okay. Uh, go into Facebook uh, Find of the Week then. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give it to Phineas and Ferb. There's a platypus controlling me. Oh, jeez. Why have I put you in charge of this? Because <laughs> I'm the one who came up with it. <laughs> I am a huge Phineas and Ferb fan. I got a ton of enjoyment out of that. Haven't you That's already from, seen uh, that though? Moneybags. Sure, I've seen that episode several times. <laughs> all right. Um, I was a personal fan of the uh, the every, make everything all right button. The make everything okay button was pretty good. <laughs> we had uh, a few st- really strong entries from listener Fishhead. He, I think he was gunning for his third prize there. But <laughs> and at the end of the day, the the Phineas and Ferb got my vote. That's all that matters. Um, okay, well, congratulations to uh, Moneybags for his participation in the I Facebook. think he's our first three, Peter. Yes, uh, maybe. I, I don't remember. I'm, I'm relying on you, your information for that. Well, I was making that up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how many times he's won. But he has won again. I know that much. Yeah. Um, so, congratulations. Uh, we'll send you out something. Um, if it's your third time, we'll have to fe- feverishly throw something together. Well, I, I have... Have, the, you, have you put it together? I haven't put it together, but I, I have. you've seen... I know the, the idea. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. 
Um, okay, then uh, Joey's Culture Corner. Uh, Alas, Babylon by Pat Frank. This is one of the very first post-nuclear apocalypse novels written. Uh, it was written, I think, in 1949. So, you know, a long time ago. And it takes place in Florida. Probably the most interesting part of reading the book was seeing the attitudes about race in a science fiction novel portrayed as they really were in 1949. I mean, the way they're talking about the black people, they're like... Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, is, is this futuristically based? No. It's like, it's 1949 and World War Three starts. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and I'm yeah, assuming with the Russians. There are, yep, with the Russians. There are, you know, people who are incredibly racist. You know, they're like, oh yeah, we can't have the, you know, the, the racial slurs that they sling around. Like, it's just... <laughs> I, I can't even say them. I was going to say it, but I realized <laughs> Good I can't decision. bring myself to say Good that word. Good decision. You are learning, Joey. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. But yeah, it was, you know, I mean, because it was not written as though this is some kind of commentary on society. That was the part that was the most striking. It was just, this was the way the world was back then. <clears throat> right. And the guy was writing the world he knew. And when you write it as commentary, it always kind of feels a little stilted or a little overdone. And this, it was just so casual and backhanded that it, it blew me away. Um, now, reading this so close to the end of Dies the Fire, I think, did the book a little bit of a disservice because Dies the Fire does this concept so much better. Even though it's not, uh, you know, a nuclear apocalypse in Dies the Fire, the concept is the same. Society has collapsed. What happens on the small scale to people who are who were relying on things like electricity and you know regular shipments of uh insulin from out of town right things like that um so it, so it was it was good but i think I, I think i would have enjoyed it more had i not just a few weeks back finished dies the fire which i thought really knocked the ball out of the park and i read this and i was like yeah the guy he he part of the problem is that he I don't think we understood, or at least the author didn't understand in 1949, the true side effects of nuclear winter. <laughs> like It was like, oh yeah. So he undersold it? Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, we're two and a half hours away from Orlando, and nobody got radiation sickness. There was no fallout effects. <laughs> and it was a small nuclear bomb. <laughs> and the wind was blowing the other way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Though? I, I mean, do. It was like... You know, they, they actually get hit all around them, and, and they're just fine, right in the middle. <laughs> they blow the tip off of Florida, and it sinks, Flor it sinks the tip of Florida into the ocean. But, you know, up, up higher in Florida, everything's just fine. There are no, no major side effects. Thought that was a little silly. Um, but, again, you know, it was 1949. I don't know how, how well they even understood what the effects would be of, of that kind of war. I think we understand it a little bit better now. And we will talk a little bit more about that as we get into the episodes. Mm. Okay. Um, but I give it a thumb up. It was enjoyable. Again, it was written in 1949, so keep that in mind going in. And I hope you're not, uh, you know, whoever may read this, be aware there's a few racial slurs yes. in this. Yeah. Um, so if you're sensitive to that, maybe this isn't the book for you. Um, okay. Well, that was a good offering there for us. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see here. We should get into episodes then. We are going to be covering episodes 21 through 22 
of Babylon 5 Season 3. And uh, we'll start off with uh, Episode 21, Shadow Dancing. The army of light strikes against the shadows, and Dr. Franklin returns from his walkabout. Ah... You liking your hot cocoa there? Please? Yes, it's uh, one of the benefits to a season wrap up. I get some delicious hot cocoa. <laughs> uh, your bar for the quality of hot cocoa is incredibly low. I don't drink here. that much. It's here. <laughs> this is where I get it. Um, besides, I've been to like places like Starbucks, and I was not impressed in the I've, slightest. I've been to Starbucks, but I make a homemade hot cocoa where I mix it with my mix it myself from. Cocoa powder and powdered sugar and things like that. <laughs> powdered milk. <laughs> Why did I just get this <laughs> mental picture of like this, you know, this uh, this scientist lab, you know, with beakers <laughs> everywhere and filters. And I, I imagine Aaron, like you yelling at Aaron, come on, hurry up. And like he takes his shirt off and, you know, puts his shirt in there as the filter for the hot cocoa. <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of that, but that's what came to my mind. I don't know why you thought of that either. I'm not showing anyone anything filtered through Aaron's shirt. <laughs> Gave it a wonderful nutty flavor. Um, all right, uh, shadow dancing. Do you have a summary for us? I read it. Oh, you did. <laughs> the army of light strikes against oh, the yes. shadows. I forgot about that. Okay, so the episode begins that uh, Ivanova and uh, Marcus are going to be sent on what could really potentially be a suicide mission. That's not how the episode begins. Well, that's how I chose to think it began. I don't remember how it actually began. Why don't you talk about it? It began with Delenn begging the League of Non-Aligned Worlds to give them ships for this strike against the Shadows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You didn't care about how'd that? that how would that turn out? Uh, it worked out in their favor. Good. I thought it was interesting that the terminally silly Drazi were the race that were selected to be the voice of the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, while the others all went to talk to their government. Well, they can't choose the Pak Marak, because I've never <laughs> seen them speak any English. <laughs> the game could have done it. Oh, I don't know, even know which ones they They're the are. ones that have the gas masks and the little globe, the glowing globe. <laughs> no, I don't remember them really? either. No. The, the Bercari and the game were in a conversation a few episodes back where he wanted the game to help the Bercari defend their space, and the game were like, well, so far we haven't been noticed, and we're thinking maybe if we don't do anything, the shadows will look, look past us and completely ignore us. Yeah, wow. I, I don't remember. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'm sure it might have happened. Um, and uh, let's see here. Then I made a note. Ugh, Dr. Franklin. <laughs> um, who's just hanging out in some underground marketplace. I like when... With, uh, with his shirt collar turned up to protect himself from the wind that blows <laughs> through the market. <laughs> down below. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that. I liked when Garibaldi and Zach were talking about Dr. Franklin before we cut over to him. Um, Zach tells Garibaldi, look, he's got to get his head on straight, and you can't do that for him. You know, I, I've had friends in my life where I've had to tell them, look, you know, it's time for you to go get this figured out. When, when you've got yourself figured out, then maybe I can help you, but you're in a state right now where nothing I can do will be helpful to you. It's always a tough spot to be in with a friend. I would agree with that. Um, they talk about 
Uh, this is Delenn and Sheridan, and she says, I wish to see your true face. Because <laughs> he's asleep, yeah. I didn't buy that. I just... I... Clearly, I am not Minbari. <laughs> I should state that for the record. So I don't have You're the cul- I don't have the cultural <laughs> subtext here to properly appreciate this, but the idea of watching somebody sleep, I don't think I'm going to see their true face. You're not a spiritualist the way they are. They're kind of, they have a, a mystical bent to them. Yeah, well, true, and uh, I guess if that's the case, then. I, I, I'm. Uh, I guess I, I'm just not going to be watching. Uh, I, typically, when I watch women sleep, they get creeped out when they find out about <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I watch just, my kids sleep. I will, you know, go in and look in on them, and they do look somewhat like different people when they're asleep. But, you know, as the body relaxes, there is a, a change of aspect that takes place. I don't know how much credence I give to the idea that that's your true face or anything like that, but there is definitely a change in aspect. And if you were a mystical, a race with a mystical bent, I can see how you'd say, oh, that's your true face, and I'm going to evaluate that to see whether or not we should get married. Yeah. Um, I, I actually liked in that scene where, you know, Delenn says, well, you know, if he insists he stay a second night, she can wait until he falls asleep and then cut off his. Access to her family. <laughs> really wasn't sure what she was referring to there. I, I think it's pretty clear <laughs> by the look on Sheridan's face. <laughs> well, he there's no guarantee that he inferred properly. Okay. Um, Franklin gets stabbed. <laughs> Woo! There's a very interesting parallel that happens in this episode between Franklin and the White Star. They both are injured. Because, again, remember, the, the White Star is a living ship, right? Mm-hmm. They're both injured and paralyzed, unable to flee, unable to go for help. And they both get themselves sorted out and go for help at the exact same time. If you watch the episode, mm. the, they are written very much in parallel. It was the line where uh, Franklin says, Ugh, this is not good. That I just really... The ship sailed, you know, long ago, certainly for Dr. Franklin. But this line here does not in any way help turn the ship about and get it, you know, righted back for me. It just, it was silly. Um, okay, so the, uh, they send out the, the hail. Oh, oh my gosh, here are the shadows. They are coming in right now. Yep. And <clears throat> the attack begins. And it's big. It is huge. Really big. There are tons and tons of shadow vessels just everywhere. And the, um, what are we calling these? The League League of Light? The Army of Light. Army of Light. They are, I wouldn't say holding their own, but they're not just getting the floor wiped. I mean, they're not just getting pushed about and destroyed one after the other. I mean, we come to find out at the end... For every one of theirs that we destroyed... We lost two. We lost two. So, yeah, maybe they won the skirmish, but they seem to have come out the worse as far as ships are concerned. And from what they were saying in the episode, they didn't have a lot to begin with. Yeah. 
So, you know, it's kind of tough. But, I mean, it still showed the shadow. They are a presence here. This is not somebody who's just going to roll over and cause problems. Not only are we going to fight back, but we have the right people in the right places to create an alliance here. Mm -hmm. This is a serious problem for the shadow. Yeah. One of the the pleasing things that I uh, um, found with the... uh, the battle is all of the space debris. Most of the time when we look at uh, um, sci-fi space battles, it's too clean. Yeah, They blow something up, boom, it's just a cloud of smoke now. There's no debris anyway. Vaporized. You know, you can fly right through the explosion and your ship is just fine. I mean, almost every sci-fi show is like that, yeah. including Star Trek. West Wing didn't, not so much on that one. <laughs> But Firefly also did a good job with the debris. Yeah, but this this uh, episode clearly though showed how the debris was getting in the way and causing damage to the other ships. Yeah. I mean, just as if they had been shot by something. And so it was really really cool to be able to see that taken into effect uh, on the battle itself. I agree. It was a very cool aspect. Um, the the sad thing is, where are the Vorlon? The Vorlon showed up once before and went to town on the Shadow. <laughs> Where are they now? Why aren't they helping out? Because Kosh is dead. So the Vorlon aren't an ally anymore? I'm not going to answer that question. Okay, that could mean anything. That's the uh, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> There's really foreshadowing there? Yes, uh, absolutely. Yes, there's mm. a very specific reason the Warlon are not involved here. Mm. Okay, um, so the, the battle basically ends. They fly back, and then we get to the Franklin stuff, which is he has decided that uh, he is going to define himself by what he is and not what he is not. Not what he isn't. Um, okay, I had a little trouble with this, and granted I am the anti-Franklin half <laughs> of this podcast. I think I speak for the majority of the viewers or You're listeners out right. there. Yeah. Um, I just don't buy this. To just basically say, oh man, I am not going to define myself by what I'm not anymore, sounds like you are cutting yourself off a little bit. Because I think there are many times when I define myself as, okay, I'm not this person, but I want to be. This is the thing that I want to be. I think so I set that as a goal to then become that in some regard. And whether I get there or not, I don't think is necessarily the most important thing because I'm constantly again, striving, what, trying to be better. And it sounds, like he's, it sounds like he's just saying, okay, I'm not even going to focus on... That anymore. I'm just going to be whatever I am. That's what I am. No, that's I'm, I'm going to exist. Absolutely not what he's saying. Then he's saying what you just said. You define yourself as saying, "This is what I want to be." To this point in his life, Franklin has only ever said, "Well, I don't want to be this, and so I'm going to do whatever it takes to not be that." He's defined himself in negative connotations in at every turn. 
He's mm. never taken a proactive stance in his own life. It's always been reactive to what events are that are pressing on him. Mm. And what he's saying is, now I'm going to start taking a proactive position, decide what I want to be, and work towards that. <clears throat> instead the, the, of always being running away from anything that tries I, to come I'm, I'm willing to, to go with what you say on this. I, I really am. Because I don't, I don't know the, the series as well as you do. The trouble I have with that, though, is Franklin... He just basically said, look, I'm alive, and that's good enough for me right now. And I had a problem with that. In, in the end, when he's talking to Sheridan, when Sheridan finally really comes down and Sheridan says, look, the job is yours, take it back, you know, <laughs> you can go get the cool uniform now. Um, he basically says, I am alive, and that's really good enough. That's not what he said, though. He, it is what he that's said. not what he said. Then what did he say? He said, "Open up that learning Java book and quote from J. Michael Straczynski's script." Yeah, I don't have the script book with me today, for once. So I find funny. Why did you bring the Java book? I am currently refreshing myself on Java, and so I I'm happen to be carrying that one around. So just in case there's a lull in the podcast, you're gonna bring it. Yes. No, I, I also have a copy of the Reader's Guide to the Silmarillion. <laughs> No, these are, these are just the books that I carry with me everywhere I go. I even take them to the restaurant with me. <laughs> I interrupted. I interrupted. Go on. Go what on. What he said was, I've let my life slip away without catching on to the moments. He's not saying it's enough to be alive. He's saying, I haven't been paying attention to my own life. And in the J. Michael Straczynski book, again, I don't have it, so I'm going to have to kind of paraphrase a little bit here but he talks about what what it is about Dr. Franklin that really endears the character to me out of all the goofiness and out of all the the Dr. Love which I, I admit is completely valid <laughs> but the reason why I will always be a fan of Dr. Franklin is because Dr. Franklin represents that aspect of J. Michael Straczynski which I most identify with which is to say to people wake up Pay attention to what you're doing with your life. You should, in, in everything that you're doing, you should be saying, in doing this, am I making myself better? Am I being the kind of person I want to be? Or have I been, the phrase that Franklin uses is lulled to sleep. Have I been lulled to sleep by life? Have I let the, the minutia and the mundanity drown me and, to the point where I don't even pay attention to what I'm doing anymore. I just get up and I kind of live my life the way I live my life. What he's saying is, I am now rebelling against that concept. I am going to pay attention to the moments because in the, in the end, the moments are all you have. The moments that make up your life are why we're here. That is what he's trying to say. Hmm. Well, I'll have to go back and, and maybe rewatch that if I'm feeling bored. <laughs> because honestly, the the line that he used was, I am alive and that's good enough right now. And that's really what I walk away with. And I appreciate the Straczynski side of things that you just talk about right there. Apparently it wasn't strong enough to come through in this episode for me to catch okay. on to it in this week's watching. Whether it's there or not, I've, I've missed it. For me, I, I can say the first your, time I watched side. this. The first time I watched this through, I didn't care about Doctor Franklin until this episode. This was the episode where I really hooked into that character because it has been something for 
the bulk of my life that I strongly believe that we need to pay more attention. We need to be more careful about deciding to live life instead of letting life live us. Mm. So I, I, th- I think it's there that people can get it. Apparently, you're just not smart enough. Clearly. <laughs> I've never been a fan of most doctors, though, in, in shows. What about the guy on the love boat? Um, what was the doctor's name on that? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I remember Isaac. He was pretty cool. Uh, okay, so then we have Delenn, who's uh, just sitting around watching uh, Sheridan sleep. Yeah, and she decides to play with the snow globe for... And who walks in but Anna Sheridan? Did you notice the first view we get of Anna Sheridan? Um, she's... The first time she appears, the first time she comes into the scene where we can actually see something of her, mm-hmm. we see her shadow. That was not accidental. Right, yeah. She's framed against the uh, walking into a dark room from a light background, so it's going to cause a shadow, for sure. The the casting of the shadow and having that be the first aspect of the character we see was by design. The trouble that I had with this was everybody seemed to be looking at her weird as she's walking through the hallway. Like, she got a lot of weird looks from people like, hmm, what? I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. And well, it's, it, it's all the extras who are starstruck because what's her name? <laughs> Melissa Gilbert. Melissa Gilbert's on on stage. <laughs> um, Quit looking at the actress. <laughs> um, because it was looking at her as though you know she was this person. Like, what are you doing here? How is this possible? Kind of glances, which wouldn't be right at all because they would have no idea. Who this woman was. There was one person who I remember doing that, and he had a valid reason for doing it. And I, maybe I need to go back and watch that scene again. But the one person I remember doing it, who had a valid reason for doing it, is the guy who swiped her identity card. And that's because he would have swiped her identity card, and it would have come up as, hey, this person's dead. Yeah, but the, the, the I noticed that guy, but he just swipes the card and doesn't look at the reader. He looks down at it and looks up at her. Mm-mm. You have a different edit than I do. I, I have your DVDs. <laughs> I don't have anything special. I'm not friends with any of the production staff. Well, I don't have my DVDs because you do. I'm watching what originally aired. <laughs> uh, okay, I don't have anything else to say here. Uh, the only other thing I had to say was, and I'm just going to read this because I can't even remember what the note was, but it says, the lady with the stick up her rear. I don't, I don't know what I meant there. I don't know either. <laughs> okay, listen to comments. Okay, that was weird. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I know, I know what it was. Hold on. Um, it was when Franklin has his collar pulled up and he's sitting there. That lady and her husband and the little girl come through. Oh, I thought that was his mother. No, she looked too old to be her to be his wife. He said. Uh, he, he said something like, she said, don't contradict me in front of our daughter. And then he says, well, I'm just telling you what mother says. And she says, your mother eats trash, and so do you. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. That lady, oh, man. <laughs> she was annoying. Good, good, good job being annoying, actress. <laughs> uh, listener Brainy Smurf says, hey, dudes, 
I really enjoyed and appreciated your utter shock and awe toward my gray 17 rating last week. However, I, like listener Moneybags, was not aware that we are supposed to do anything other than fast forward through Dr. Walkabout's various <laughs> detilio-ish vignettes. But now it, uh, it's a true story and I have to pay attention. JMS learned he was a writer and the doctor learned that he is a doctor because he helps people? Shocking, uh, such shocking discoveries. But I digress. As I was super busy last week, now I can elaborate just a little bit more as to why Grey 17 is Missing got a huge ratings bump. While I was re-watching last, uh, that episode last week, I received a knock at my door. This moment was directly preceded by Jeremiah's metaphysical cosmos speech. On my way to the door, I was whimsically, um, whimsical-ing about how Jeremiah's sermon mirrored the Minbari description of the universe as a living being, which also mirrors some general Eastern religious concepts. For instance, uh, Indira's net is a metaphor, or sorry, maybe that's Indra's net, is a metaphor developed about 1,200 years ago by some Buddhist dudes to describe an axis, an axis mundi type net, indicating network of interdependency. Alan Watts describes this concept in a linear, uh, linear-esque level of eloquence. Quote, Imagine a multi-dimensional spider's web in the early morning covered with dewdrops and every dewdrop contains the reflection of all the other dewdrops and in each reflection and in each reflected dewdrop the reflections of all the other dewdrops in that reflection and so ad in, me. <laughs> and so ad infinitum that is the buddhist concept uh, conception of the universe in an image close quote and the vulcan and the mimbari and so Pondering these things as I opened the door, I was delighted to see a pair of hot chicks. Thank you, universe, I thought to myself. <laughs> and then one of them said, Hi, we're Jehovah's Witnesses. After a brief pause, I said hello and encouraged them to continue with their spiel. I respectfully listened. Although I am interested with a um, secular academic view, I really do like to hear missionary approaches. And I am mindful that they are engaged in an effort that is probably very difficult to perform. So they evangelized on, and after a while, they engaged me with another question. Quote, are you familiar with our religion at all? I said, well, yes I am, ladies. And I'm a big fan of non-Trinitarian evangelical millenarian factions. After a glimpse of how deer feel in front of headlights, I said, Sorry, I should have just said that I was a religious studies major in college. You guys encourage Bible reading, right? <laughs> Their faces reset and they read, some, uh, read me some Bible. Upon completing their epistle readings... They then asked me the next of their scripted questions. How do you think of God? Bristling with a potent combo of morning coffee and JMS transcendentalism, <laughs> I said something to the effect of, quote, Although everybody labors to define or describe God, I like to think of God as the universe, as a magnificent, 
as magnificent expression of consciousness. The universe is alive, and God is everything that is composed of both organic and non-organic. In this way, every atom is alive, for lack of a better definition. God is in a constant endeavor to explore what it means to be alive, what it is to exist. And that, ladies, is why we are all so curious about God, or the meaning of life, or about whatever. Because curiosity and wonder propel the consciousness of the universe. Close quote. Pause. A little longer pause. <laughs> quote, well, that is different. <laughs> hey, I was just answering questions here. In any event, these chicks were fervently nonplussed, but in a good way, I think. I suppose this was um, I suppose this was a coup de grace for all of us because they were clearly not impressed by my threatening perspective of quantum egalitarianism. <laughs> so deciding it was time to move on, they gave me some literature and exited with contrived alacrity. Maybe they were terrified. Maybe they were uh, charmed. But in any event, I think the three of us will always remember my Babby Five inspired diatribe in some fashion. <laughs> Thank you, JMS. Gray 17 will always get a ratings bump for personal serendipitous circumstances. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I, I guess, now that I understand <laughs> what he was going through, I, still seems a little high, but it's his rating. It he gets to do it. Thank you for explaining yourself. <laughs> um, okay, on to this episode. Shadow Dancing with Myself. <laughs> Dr. Franklin is awesome. I like Dr. Walkabout Shadow more than the real doctor. I know many people who have journeyed to find themselves. In most cases, all they needed to do was be punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so here is the doctor's arc. He wants to help people, so he takes stims to improve his ability. But he was not facing himself, so he went a-walking. Now he leaves everything behind except for food, clothing, alcohol, and sex. So he did not leave anything behind except his job. Withdrawal time. Doctor was mad. Doctor is stabbed. And then, lying on a bed in sick bay, he realized that he is a doctor and he wants to help people. At least it's over. JMS's stabbing story was very interesting to hear. I believe that JMS based the shadow slash Vorlon contention on his San Diego experience. He walked around not knowing what he was looking for, not knowing who he was. I think he was exhausted from his career choice, finding it to be a dirty alley instead of the proverbial yellow brick road. On one side, he had the highly competitive gauntlet of trying to get one's foot in the door as a rider. On the other hand, uh, sorry, on the other side was his ideals and his integrity. He may have felt he was at an impasse with the two sides, unwilling to sacrifice his integrity to make a buck, but I'm just postulating here. Uh, as a, but as a musician, I can surely empathize with the dilemma of selling out versus sticking to your guns. This conflict, of course, arises in countless life situations outside of the realm of art. We see many religious perspectives that draw a line between the secular world and the sacred. Are, and so the struggle of the cranky first ones was born. 
What do you want? To be a successful writer, who are you? Unable to figure out a way to sell these ideas to the public without selling my soul. Well, JMS, I am glad you figured out the balance. High five. Uh, Sci-Fi 8, TV 7. Okay. Okay, money bags. Finally, a battle with the shadows. <laughs> Some more Ivanova Marcus scenes, which is always great. Franklin meets himself. Richard Biggs did a good job with both sides of his self in this scene, but his other self's argument wasn't that great. He says that refusing to turn over his notes on Minbari genetics was running away. Bull. What else was Franklin supposed to do? He was standing up for his principles. If he had turned them over, they would have been run, uh, that would have been running away. Other Franklin also said he couldn't make things work with his dad, so he ran away. We've met his dad. I don't think I could have made things work with that guy either. What was he supposed to do? Hang out on Earth forever trying to make peace? And finally, dying is just another form of running away. Franklin had been stabbed in the gut. Come on. Oh well, at least Franklin can go back to being a bit part now. Also, a good moment with Londo and Veer in the beginning. I love how Londo says, drink. I could listen to this guy read the phone book. Even cheesy lines sound good. Like when he says, I do not think I like this. No, I do not think I like this at all. I agree all. totally. It's, it's all in the delivery. <laughs> oh, and the guy who delivers Morden's warning was abominable. Could they not get Ed Wasser for this episode? Oh, and a great cliffhanger. They could almost have, uh, this could almost have been the season finale, except the episode has no nukes. TV7, Sci-Fi 6. Hold on. I, I want to respond to his, his commentary there real quick. Can I see the email, please? Um, no, this is my segment. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> we were joking I, earlier on. I thought of it that way before. <laughs> Um, you know the the accusations by for Dr. Franklin's other self. I think it, it's really intended to be. He's he's going over his list of regrets. He regrets that he didn't get along better with his father. He regrets that instead of doing something to actively prevent what Earth was doing with Minbari research or xenobiological research, he just burned his notes and took a passive role. I, I think I think it's himself telling himself these are the things I regret and it's time to fight for what I really want get up off the ground yes agreed he had gotten stabbed in the stomach but clearly that entire time he had the physical strength to have walked out of there just not the emotional strength and it took him until he was almost dead to gather enough emotion, emotional strength to get himself up and get out of there you know, I, the way I uh, saw that uh, those scenes, it was, for me, more like, uh, you know, someone poking another guy with a stick. Eventually, the guy's going to, like, bristle and push back against it and, you know, get up and do something. It looked like, before, Franklin was just saying, uh, uh, blood is coming out of my gut, I'm going to die, uh. <laughs> and, you know, his fantasy illusion shows up and says, come on, I'm going to provoke you enough to the point that you get up and do something. Okay. That's how I saw it. All right. Uh, okay. Bob. 
Listener Bob is back. It's good to hear from one of the Bobs this week. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, fellas. I hope all is well. I really have been missing listening to my own contributions to the podcast, <laughs> so I thought I would rectify that. Uh, I'm on a wee break and thought I should contribute at uh, the least to the season wrap-up. Shadow Dancing. JMS really packed a lot into the final two episodes of this season. On other shows, I would say this is bad. this is a bad thing. But I think the plot that we care about comes through well. Of course, everyone likes a space battle. This one was great, but I find every uh, but I find every comparing but I find comparing every skirmish or battle on Babylon Five to ones I saw on DS Nine. I can't tell. Uh, I can tell that the budget could only be stretched so far. One thing about season three is the chemistry between Marcus and Susan really shown through. It seems Claudia Christian really got into the role and was relaxed, both which helped to make her into more than just a bristly character. Despite everyone wanting to focus on the war, we have to endure the never-ending walkabout that Dr. Franklin is on. I think this may have gone on for one episode too many and should have been wrapped in episode 20. Though Richard Biggs' performance was great when he was having uh, the hallucination. The ending of the episode was great. A bit like J.R. being shot in Dallas. It was a shame it was a different actress from all those videos, though. (laughs) The one Uh, video. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give it a sci-fi 4 TV 7. You know, uh, Straczynski mentioned in in the script book about how he always wanted to go back and reshoot that, so at least when they did the DVDs, it would have been Melissa Gilbert. But when they did the, the math on how much it would cost to reshoot that scene so that they had Melissa Gilbert on the screen, it just was too expensive. I thought they did, though. No. I remember seeing her in a what looked like the video in the next episode. You know, I, I, I thought that, too. I, I know what you're talking about now, but I guess it was to go back and fix the earlier footage that was too expensive and they must have just reshot a piece of it yeah I mean all they really have to do is you know impose the video screen with some new stuff yeah. I, I wouldn't think I didn't, that I didn't so really difficult. understand it either but he, he talks about how to this day it's one of his biggest regrets about Babylon 5 that they didn't fix that season 2 well I, I think as a writer it's really hard for him to be able to communicate things through the written uh, form <laughs> so um, yeah, okay, those are all the uh, comments that we have. Okay, Pete, science fiction radio. Um, I, uh, I can only give this a six. And I think it's really the, the, this gets a five for all of the non-Franklin stuff, and the Franklin stuff gives it a one. So five plus one really? gets you six. Yeah, I, the, the whole that Franklin thing... That space battle did not get more than a five from you? The space battle was awesome. That's how it manages... I mean, that that's two parts of the episode. The space battle and Franklin. Okay. And the space battle, it held its own. It got half of, you know, the numbers that it should have. And the Franklin stuff really just couldn't do much. I did like the, you know, the... The whole, oh, Anna Sheridan, what's she doing here? Yeah, that's, that's a good ending, but uh, no, this is a six. Uh, I give this an eight. I think the space battle alone, by itself, deserves an eight. No, because the space battle that we saw earlier in the season was far better than this one. I yes, disagree. I like the fact that they're fighting the shadow now, and we're seeing a big shadow battle, 
But the episode that we saw the Earth people fighting it against each other was so much more. I think awesome. this one. I think so this much more awesome. Better. I think this one's way better because you have many different races. You have lots of different ship designs. You have different weapons kinds of weapons firing. Didn't make it better for me. You have the debris colliding with ships. There are just so many things in there. I think this is way better. You're wrong. Okay, TV rating. Uh, I can only give this a five. Um, just because it's passable, middle-of-the-road stuff. There's action sequences which is going to help to offset some of the Franklin stuff. So I can believe that. I, I'm actually going to give this a 7 because I do like the Franklin stuff. It will, I, I realize I'm the last person on Earth who does, but I really enjoy it. I was about to make... Uh, I realized that was going to be a horrible, inappropriate joke. I was going to say... Well, I would think the actor who played Franklin would, but then I realized he's not on the he's Earth not anymore, with us anymore, and that was not the the, in, the, the intended joke I wanted to make. Uh, the P5 rating is 9.25. Moving on to our next episode, Zaha Doom. If you go to Zaha Doom, you will die. <laughs> That's a great Londo voice you have there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't remember him using that line, but um, hmm, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's uh, okay. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I couldn't think of any summary better than that. Seems reasonable <laughs> enough. Um, okay, so we come to find out uh, Anna Sheridan's alive. Oh, what's going on? And Sheridan's standing there in a robe with two women in his quarters. Ladies and just invite them both back into the bedroom. And we can work this out. Oh, no. <laughs> so, apparently, Delenn knew uh, that Anna was alive. No. Or, at least, that is what Anna is telling to Sheridan. No. Yeah? She never says that. Mm-hmm. She never told you that I was still alive? She totally did say that. She asked that question... But she is not telling Sheridan that Delenn knew. She was basically saying, Delenn, she's, she's trying to drive a spike between Delenn... She's trying to drive a spike. She's trying to imply without saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, her main purpose for showing up there is that she wants to take Sheridan to Zahadun. Because the, the shadows, shadow, they want to they talk to tell their him. side of the story. Right. Seems fair. Well, is it? Sure. Why does he have to go to Zaha Doom to to do it? <laughs> well, I mean, clearly. you would you would take the shadow side in this. <laughs> you would think everything they do is fair. We should all take a little trip to hell and no. you know, get Satan's side of the story. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've uh, seen uh, really what it is the shadow are trying to do here, I can see how you would totally agree with the shadow. <laughs> Um. Okay, Sheridan's pretty pissed. Yeah, he's upset. He uh, he. I don't know if you noticed. He grabs Delenn by the arm and kind of yanks her around the room for a second, saying, "How could you not have told me about this? You and Kosh, you deliberately hid from me the possibility that she might be alive." Yep, that is absolutely correct. And I made the note. Hmm. Kosh and Delenn couldn't allow Sheridan to know something. Just like the Narn. <laughs> Turnabout is fair play. Yeah. If uh, he can't get that upset about it, because he and Delenn did the, the exact same thing. same thing to the Norm. Yep. You know what? We can't 
Can't speak up, can't save him. At least, though, Delin does not lie when... Even though she knows the cost of telling the truth here, when he asks her, if you had known, would you have told me? And she says, it depends. It depends on what she had become. And it's clear that she serves the shadow. Yes. She is their agent. Yep. And he puts her through a whole battery of uh, physical tests to determine who she is. And Franklin finds something. Yeah. Not much more said until <laughs> later on in the episode. Um, okay, so let's cover some of the Babylon 5 stuff that's happening. Okay. Um, they're going to be mining space yeah. with these really, really, really big bombs. They're going to be using the Black Star strategy. Yeah, kind of. Um, and uh, Jakar kind of helps bring them in there, and now they're aboard Babylon 5. They're, they're 500 megaton. Which seems like a really, really bad place to store them. <laughs> I can't imagine a good place to store, you know, live bombs, but... Uh, well, they're not armed yet, so they're armed? not actually dangerous yet. Hmm, okay. Um, Londo is getting promoted. Yep. He's going to be apparently in the court and he's bitter of about the that. emperor because... Uh, they, according to Londo, want to keep him on a tight leash. Yeah. And if they don't like what he's doing, then he'll just end up dead. <laughs> so he's unhappy about it. He sees through it. And uh, one of Morden's friends shows up and says, you need to leave the station now. I For can't, your own protection. I can't tell you anything more other than get out. Um, and uh, let's see here. Um, hmm, I guess that was all of it. Um, okay, so I have a note here. The Shadow essentially have been offering technology to the Earthers. Uh, we come to find out that, you know, um, the true story about Anna Sheridan and that, uh, um, why that, uh, those group of people went to Zaha Doom. It wasn't because, oh, hey, we found this new planet. We should go and discover what is there. It was, they put a tracker on that shadow ship that they found on Mars. Yeah. And when it got taken back, they were able to know exactly where it went to. And so they decided, okay, we're going to go and send a crew there and discover what's actually there. Yeah. So it wasn't some archaeological dig. It was... This is, I don't know what to call it, but I guess reconnaissance? Here, here's my question. Do you think the Shadows knew that there was a homing beacon on that ship and let it be tracked? I mean, is this all a big setup to get Earth into... I'm comfortable with it being either way. Okay. Uh, it, it, I, I, I think I get what you're going towards... But for me, it doesn't really matter one way or the okay. other. They, the Earthers still basically make a deal with a shadow to say, oh, you need computers for your ships, eh? We have those things. Here, here have some people off the Icarus. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the basically the shadow were going to say, okay, well, we're going to help you out. We're going to start giving you technology yeah. and, and making you guys smarter and stronger. Um, Sheridan... Uh, kind of pieces everything together of what's going on. He's got the reports from the doctor. He knows 
really what uh, Anna Sheridan is. Um, and he gives Garibaldi an order yeah. this time. This isn't a, hey, would you take care of this? It's an order. You go and take care of this. This, you know, this isn't how you talk to, uh, you know, a commanding officer. You go and take care of this, and do not tell anybody about it. No questions, speculations, hunches, or educated guesses. And uh, at the time, I'm like, what is he asking him to do? Coming to find out, I think he was asking him to move some of the mines onto the White Star. Yes. Some and of in, ther- thermonuclear devices. Yeah. And the White Star is going to be emptied completely of people and have them checked into the station. Because you know what? It's time to start following protocol around here. <laughs> Which leaves the White Star completely empty. He and Anna go to the White Star. They take the White Star and fly off to Zaha Doom. Yep. And they get there and... On the way... Uh, Anna Sheridan makes the comment that the Shadow believes if anything even remotely mm-hmm. Vorlon touches Zahadum, they will all die. Uh, if you go read the Babylon 5 novels, there's actually a dark prophecy that tells the Shadow that this is the case. Oh, really? Yeah. So if it touches Zahadum... If, if anything even remotely Vorlon were to ever touch Zahadum, all the Shadow would die. Who, who did the prophecy? I can't remember now. Well, thanks for nothing. Go read the books. I'm not going to read the books. <laughs> well, then you don't care that much, do you? <laughs> I prefer to be catered to. Um, I am not a catering company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so... so um, before he leaves, Sheridan calms down a little bit and has an opportunity to realize he loves Dylan and he leaves her a goodbye message. Yep, he leaves her a note. And it's basically a, I love you, and I understand you love me, and I'm going to do this thing now. And Because I believe it's the right thing to do. I, I think I can save Centauri Prime if I go do this. Mm-hmm. I got thinking, what if I had to go to save Centauri Prime? And he makes the mistake that everybody who's dealing with time travel makes. You know, what if I didn't go? Maybe that's what actually caused the problem. <laughs> Whatever. Never mind, it was, I think he was specifically told by Delenn in his future, don't go to Zaha Doom, <laughs> whatever you do, don't go there. Well, yeah, he specifically says, I interpreted that as you saying, if I don't go, or if I don't go, then this is what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah I, okay. he's, he's reading it wrong, clearly. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, so he and Anna get down to the planet, and... Um, She's like, hey, they built this little structure here for us. You know, let's go on in and let's have a, a talk here. And they meet this guy named Justin. Before they before they meet Justin, as they're about to go in, Sheridan heads toward one of the doors. Mm-hmm. And on one side of the hall, there's a bunch of closed doors. And he heads toward one, and Anna says, no, not that door, this one. Um, in the script book, J. Michael Straczynski talked about how that scene was an attempt to portray to, portray to the viewers that Sheridan is making a choice here. That he has an opportunity to turn around, go home, whatever, do whatever, but that he follows the advice of Anna, and that is why things end up the way they do. That door, that other door, was the alternate choice to do something else in this situation. Really? Yeah. He's banking a lot <laughs> on an approach to a door. He, he, said, he said in the book... Uh, admittedly, it was a little clumsy, but that's what I was going for. 
<laughs> well, what's supposed to be on the other side of the door then? It's metaphorical. We'll never know. Yeah. Because he didn't choose it. <laughs> okay, so he meets Justin, and Morden is also in there. Yep. Looking as creepy as ever. And what's the first thing Sheridan says to Justin? Um, I don't know. Who are you? Sheridan says that to Justin? Yes. And Justin says, it doesn't matter. And Sheridan repeats it. Who are you? And that's when Justin comes up with what I think is one of the great lines of Babylon 5. And he says, who decides that hemlines will be short this year and long the next? And, you know, who decides that the work hour is from 9 to 5, da, da, da. I'm with those people. Same company, different department. <laughs> I love that description. He actually talked in the script book, and this is the one, re- the one reason I wish I had brought the script book, was to talk about this guy. But the guy who portrays Justin here is, he, he said, I, you know, when I was a kid, I watched this movie called Seconds. It's a horror slash science fiction film. Starring Rock Hudson. <laughs> he says, it's one, I think one of Rock Hudson's actual few good jobs being an actor. And uh, he said that the guy, this actor who plays Justin in that movie had a, a role where he was mainly exposition. He was doing a bunch of explaining. And he says, so when I went down and went and sat down to write this, I had that guy in mind the whole time. So when we went to cast it, I said, hey, can we find this guy <laughs> and bring him in? And they did. And that's, that's the guy who got the job. That's kind of cool. I like that. Um, okay, so he basically explains the shadow's point of view, which is, look, there are all of these first races. You know, they grew up and they decided, oh, man, you know, I'm going to go explore. And they left this space. But two of them stuck around. One is the Vorlon and one are the Shadow. Yep. Or what you call the Shadow. Because apparently the Shadow's real name is like 10,000 letters long. Syllables long, long yeah. Um, and... Which, by the way... <laughs> what? what kind of an idiot race names themselves with a name that's 10,000 syllables <laughs> long? <laughs> you know, we are all humans. You know, that's phrase, a phrase that you might hear in a speech. We are all... <laughs> Ten thousand syllable name. Well, clearly the shadow have gotten themselves all on the same page to this point. There are no, you know, uh, um, revolutionists coming along and saying, "Remember what we were. We are this." You know, they, they already know. Um, okay, his job is to explain the shadow's point of view, which is: look, the Vorobon represent one way. You know, they meddle around with people and try to make them all good and useful. We prefer to take the role of... Uh, Agents of chaos. An antagonizer. Because we found that people, you know, who get, you know, get stronger because of conflict. Strength comes from conflict. So by adding conflict out into the universe, we're helping those other races to take a leap forward that they might not make by themselves. Right. Just being, you know, good people and struggling through regular life. This conflict helps to mold them and shape them and take them into this new and greater direction. So this is uh, this is based on the philosophy of, I think his name is pronounced Heidel, a German philosopher, who believed that peace ossifies society while war invigorates and promotes um, growth 
inside of society. You bet, man. Like, think about where all of our uh, really big advancements came out of. <laughs> you know, World War II, we were plowing ahead trying to make these awesome devices. Now, cost a few people's lives, no doubt, <laughs> but in the end, it was all worth it, right? Right? It's all, all sacrifices to the greater good. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of made me wonder whose side would Ayn Rand choose? Would she choose the shadow? I think she might. Yeah. I think she might as well. It was really interesting, actually. You know, he talked in the script book about how after this episode aired in the online forums that were talking about Babylon 5 at the time, it became a really divisive issue because there were people who, after watching this episode, said, Son of a gun! The shadows are right! We should have been rooting for the shadows this whole time. Yeah, there's evil Borlon always getting in the way. You know, and he says, he says, I, I loved that. He says, I just sat back and giggled with glee because one of the things you desperately hope as a writer is that people will take your villain seriously. And people not only took it seriously, they sided with the villain. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, it, it's... It, it was good because the way that Justin portrays it, it sounds believable. It's very plausible. It's horrible, deplorable, and nothing. no one should ever think, yeah, this is the way we really should do things. <laughs> uh, but, but that's just because of the pacifist point of view I clearly seem to have, <laughs> uh, which is I believe that everybody should be able to come and get better. You're an inclusionist. I tend to think so, so yes. Don't the inclusionist you. <laughs> <laughs> Just start calling you Shadow Man. Um, anyway, the shadows come to Babylon 5. Yep. And, in, you know, it's all during this negotiation process with Justin, as he's explaining. And it basically comes down to they want Sheridan to join him. They, join us or we will destroy Babylon 5. Yeah, they're basically saying, look, you're, you're good you're at what you're doing. You're... Amazing! You are causing this incredible thing here. We respect you, but you need to get out of the way. And if you don't, you know what? We're going to take out Babylon Five, and they're prepared to do it right then and there. And I like the, the the you know when they talk about he says, "Well, why don't you just kill me? I'm so much trouble to you." And Justin tells us what Delin told the Inquisitor, Sebastian. Back and comes the Inquisitor, which is. If we kill you, someone else just pops up in your place. That's the trouble with martyrs. <laughs> um, okay, so I, someone, I think it was Sheridan, says the line, uh, evolution will be served one way or the other. Was that him who said that? No, I believe it was more. It was either Morden or Justin who said that. Okay. Evolution will be served one way or the other. Tend to agree with that. Yeah. It's gonna happen you know um we do find out specifically that vorlons did create human telepaths they it introduced wasn't really, really clear though i wish that they would have come out and said yeah they've been meddling around with you guys and they made the telepaths he what he said was they've been meddling with humanity why else do you think telepaths appeared mm -hmm. out of nowhere a couple hundred years ago mesa I find it interesting that telepaths were around in the first or a, a thousand years ago. They were on Narn. So yeah. were the Vorlon helping out the Narn a thousand years ago? We don't know for sure, but that is certainly what the shadows are implying. Is that anywhere there are telepaths, that's a race that the Vorlon have manipulated. Because if this all started out as this 
amicable disagreement between two first first ones. The Vorlons said, "Hey, we think order and, and structure is the best way for race for society to evolve." And the Shadow said, "We think that conflict is the best way for society to evolve." <laughs> and initially, they had agreed, "Okay, we're just going to kind of we'll both go out there in the galaxy and we'll do what you know what we do, and we'll see who quote unquote wins." And what happened at some point, by the Shadow's assertion is that the Vorlons started telling people not just that we disagree with those, but they're evil. They're bad. We have to go fight them. And that the Vorlons are the one who started this whole... Now it's a, a repeating war. Every thousand years or so, the Vorlons and the Shadows get every, the whole entire galaxy all fired up. And let's go kill each other. And so that's, that's the Shadow's assertion, is that that's the way this is all playing out. Uh, my question was, the Narn seemed to me to be a relatively new race to the spacefaring venture. Yet a thousand years ago, they seemed to have played some part in that war. Something happened a thousand years ago that took them from being aware of the greater galaxy to going back to being an agrarian society. Hmm. Probably some side effect of the war that happened a thousand years ago. I see. Okay. Okay, so Sheridan decides that he is going to fight. And he runs, and uh, he sends a signal to the White Star. So, before, before he left Babylon 5, he looked in the mirror, and he saw Kosh. And Kosh uh -huh. warned him again, If you go to Zahadum, you will die. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a mystery to anyone at this point. We don't know that. We know that. No, we don't. We you know just that. Told, you just told everybody that. The, there, is the no episode, one, there is no the one episode to whom this is a mystery. Please. No, no, no. There is nothing in the episode that expressly states that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're not going to let me get that out. No, I, I, I cannot let you I'm say that. I'm leaving the whole argument in, but I'm cutting out what we're arguing about. <laughs> Well, it's really our arguments, our chaos that helps <laughs> truly shape us into something great. It is what makes this podcast. <laughs> I think we'll find out about that a little later. When it's, it's expressly actually want to wait until <sighs> it's implied, no doubt. I will grant you it is implied, but not expressly stated. Anyone who's paying attention knows. I don't think that... Uh, no, I don't Fine. agree with you. We've had too many conversations about this for you to possibly <laughs> think otherwise now. I've hardened you into your argument. <laughs> anyway, Sheridan is... He fires on some shadow. I'm assuming he fires at Morden and, uh, and Justin. Justin. And the next time we see him, like he's been through it. Like He's been slapped around at some point because he's bleeding... He's, his hair is disheveled. He's in a state, yeah, essentially. And uh, he comes out to this balcony, and he looks, which is, by the way, it's he's seen underground, right? In that, yeah, at that point. And he looks out, and there's this massive city of shadow people or human something, people, something people, city things living there. And he gets to the edge, and he's like, oh. Crap, there's no one, nowhere else to go. He calls the White Star. It fires up its engines, and it's headed down. 
real fast. Yeah. Anna comes along and says, hey, come back. You know, we can still resolve all this. <laughs> Never mind. It's not really her. The true Anna. Yeah. It's a representation uh, of her. Uh, and so we hear Kasha's voice tell Sheridan to jump. Jump now. Do it. And he's staring over this massive chasm. There's a huge hole. Yeah. Huge chasm. And he jumps. Yep. Just as the white star is coming down, crashes through the ceiling, and explodes the two mines that he has on and, board. And uh, Melissa Gilbert gives an awesome scream. Right there. I love that scream. It's just blood curdling. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about megatonnage and nuclear explosions. Okay. I think that would be good. Uh, you know, I said, I said we'd be getting into this a little bit when I talked about The Last Babylon. I did some research here on how nuclear explosions actually work and how big they are and things like that. The largest bomb that's ever been set off on the planet Earth is colloquially, 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 can't say that word tonight, known as Sar Bomba. At 50 megatons, this completely obliterated everything in a 22-mile radius. Half of the bomb's potential explosive capacity was replaced with lead to control the explosion because they realized if we set the whole thing off, <laughs> it's going to be huge. The nuclear mushroom was 64 kilometers high and 40 kilometers in diameter. Why does that factor into miles? Uh, roughly half that. So 32 miles and 20, 32 miles high, 20 miles wide. How big is our atmosphere from uh, from surface to outer space? <laughs> no offhand. Well, well, yeah, it's. If only you had some sort of instrument which would allow you to look things up over some sort of. Net. Okay, so we have several different layers of, of Earth's atmosphere. Mm -hmm. The troposphere is at 10 miles. The stratosphere is at 20 miles. No, I'm sorry. The stratosphere is at is up from 10 miles up to 20 miles to 30 miles up. So it's a 20 mile layer distance. Okay, yeah. And from 30 to 50 is the mesosphere. So you're in the mesosphere. It's cold. You have a few molecules, and this is where shooting stars would normally burn up. Okay, so it's it's getting into that area. Into that layer, yeah. That high up. Yep. I just wanted to indicate truly how high this was. Okay, good. The blast wave from this bomb orbited the globe three times. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> One third of the range ground below the explosion melted and turned into a solid glass surface. Oh, wow. That's hot. It was capable of inflicting third-degree burns at a distance of up to 50 miles. The area, effectively, the area of effectively complete destruction extended to... Sorry, I'm having to do the math in my head here for you. 13 miles. And ordinary houses would have been subjected to severe damage all the way out to 20 miles. The destruction and damage of buildings occurred sporadically at much greater ranges than this due to the effects of atmospheric focusing and unpredictable but unavoidable oh sorry and predictable but unavoidable phenomenon with very large atmospheric explosions and is capable of it would have been capable of generating localized regions of destructive blast pressure 
at distances exceeding 500 miles. Okay, so this is 50 megatons. Uh -huh. Sheridan has 100 megatons worth of explosive on the White Star. Uh, between, actually, between, uh, I'm sorry, between 1,000 and 1,200. Uh, Jakar told us each of these is the, between five and 600 megatons. There are two of them on the White Star. Right. So this is 20 times. Far, far bigger than what uh, you were just explaining. Right. So, so if we extrapolate a little bit of math, here, here's what we can come up with. The bombs on the White Star <laughs> would have created a blast wave that would have completely obliterated the entire state of Utah. <laughs> Create third degree burns in people from New York City to Los Angeles. <laughs> and a destructive blast pressure that covers half the surface of the entire planet. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a small bomb. <laughs> no, it is not. It's so huge. I just thought that, that math was amazing. And there, there is, there's actually some, some, uh, Scaling, uh, you know, loss of, of precision in the scaling. As the bombs get bigger, they don't scale linearly. Mm -hmm. So it's not exactly how it would come out. But just to give it linearly, just so we had some kind of conception, I wanted to get that out. The comparison is fantastic there. I'm really glad that you did that. <laughs> because, I mean, you think of, oh, okay, it's, they just have a couple of nuclear weapons on board. We don't have an idea of scale properly, or at least... In my opinion, I don't believe that normal human beings out there think about, oh, how many megatons can I survive? <laughs> uh, where did they let that big bomb off at? This was set off by the USSR up in the, uh, what is, uh, between Alaska and the USSR. What is, what is that? The Aleutian Islands? Is that what they are? I don't know. I don't think it's the Aleutian Islands. Anyway. The Aleutian Islands, I think, actually oh, come off of Alaska. They're a yeah, part of a, Alaska. Yeah, it's up there. It's, it's, so there's there's this chain of islands that goes all the way from Alaska all the way over to the USSR. No, I, I don't think that. The, I think the Aleutians are the ones that come okay. down. So it's whatever the ones that are that are basically what used to be the land bridge between uh -huh. right. Europe and, and North America. One of those islands that's on the Russia side... They dropped it from a plane, and then the plane hightailed it out of there while it came down on a parachute. And and they had another plane, like, I can't remember how far away it was, but really far away with all the electronic sensors in it. <laughs> Just because there, this was by far the largest explosion that had been set off on Earth. By the way, it, was, it would be between Asia and America. Sorry, yes, thank you. Um, well, I suppose still technically f between Europe and America. <laughs> but you'd have to cross the Eurasian mountains. <laughs> <laughs> um, when when did it happen? Oh, I you know I did didn't it write this. It was like that? it was the I think it was in the late '60s or early '70s. Let me look it up here. That is, I mean, still it's just absolutely crazy how ridiculously big that is. You know, when we think about the you know. The nuclear bombs, we think, oh, you know, we let off an atom bomb over Japan. But we also had the, you know, we made the H-bomb, which yeah. is supposedly, you know, so much bigger than the atom bomb. This thing right here sounds like it could kick the H-bomb's butt. Yeah, this was, this was basically the USSR saying, America thinks that they're the only ones with these really big, big bombs. This was four times bigger than anything America had at the time. Right. Oh, 1961. October 30th, 1961. Hmm. Yeah. And it was the Novaya Zemlya Island in the Arctic Sea. Whew. Yeah, that's big. 
That's really big. I just love the idea of a shockwave covering half the planet's surface. <laughs> <laughs> that's why, I, so when I was reading that, that's what led me to go back to that link that I posted on Facebook today about what it would actually take to destroy the Earth. Because I was gone on that guy's website like, wait, okay, so what would that do? <laughs> and based on his calculations, that actually wouldn't do a whole lot to the Earth. Now, the population of humans in that area would probably be completely wiped out, either initially or through side effects. But, you know, it, it actually wouldn't do all that much damage compared to, compared to if you really truly wanted to destroy the Earth. Did you have a chance to look at that website? No. Uh-uh. It's very interesting because he, said, he, he goes and he does all the math. He's like, if you literally wanted to destroy the Earth, no traces of it, you'd need antimatter. And so here's how much antimatter you'd need. You'd need. Okay, plausibility, probably not very likely. And then he goes into like 10 or 15 other ways to destroy the Earth, saying, okay, so now you don't have antimatter, so you're trying to split it up with bombs. Okay, so here's a way you can split it up with bombs. Here's the sizes of chunks that would be left if you used the bombs that I described. And how plausible is it to get that? Well, kind of plausible, actually. <laughs> Anyway, it's a very entertaining website. You should go check it out sometime. There was a lot written there, so I just I took a quick look at it and thought, I don't have time to read all of this. <laughs> but you're on vacation. <laughs> yes, I would like to do fun things. Um, okay, so to end this out, um, we have Jacquard giving the, um, the voiceover, the voiceover mm-hmm. explaining how things are going along. Garibaldi, we see, is trapped inside some shadow ship. Like yep. his ship is, is in tied yeah. inside a shadow ship. Apparently, we don't know that's how, that's how, it how you dock, apparently, with a shadow ship. Is that what happened, or <laughs> did the shadow uh, come and steal him away? We don't know. Well, I mean, they came and they did. We do know. We see him looking up and go, "What the?" And then it kind of wraps around his ship and flies off. We don't see the shadow ship wrap around. We see okay. a shadow engulf him. We don't see what happens to the ship until it's flying away and he's stuck in the middle of okay. it. So what's going to happen to Garibaldi? That's one of the questions. Yeah. What's going to happen to Sheridan? Another question. How did Susan know that Sheridan's gone? <laughs> I'm sure he's a telepath. She's psychically linked. Telepaths have to be on the line of sight. <laughs> she was looking towards Zahadun. <laughs> that is the galactic direction of Zahadun. Okay. I will accept that. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> you completely derailed me. <laughs> so then, what are the questions? Uh, so then we also have, okay, what's going to happen to Babylon 5 now? We, we saw all of the shadow ships leaving, which clearly they're reacting to the massive bomb that just went off on their home planet. And now we also have, okay, what's going to happen to the resistance? What, what's going to happen? Everything's all up in the air. That's how the episode ends. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. So we had the, you know, it's mentioned several times where Kosh says, if you go to Zaha Doom, you will die. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you know, I, I wanted to go there to protect you, to help save you, to rescue you. Yeah. So my question is, how was Kosh going to save Sheridan? Because we find out now... I hate you so much. <laughs> Sheridan can't... I mean, he's jumped through. There is no Kosh to come and rescue him. Yeah. So how was Kosh going to save him? 
Can you talk about this? No, I can't. All right, well then ring the bell and uh, <laughs> let's just move on. But I just remember thinking, I as I was watching him, like, you know, they made it kind of a big deal about Kosh not being able to, you know, he, he's now not going to be able to save him. How was he going to save him before? Like, fly in with his little flaps and, you know, all of the shadow were going to go, oh no, it's a Vorlong. He was going to go. Oh, I can't say that. <laughs> no, but I can leave in you reacting. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't have anything else, so I want to move on to comments. Okay, let's, let's move on. Uh, Zaha Doom from Brainy Smurf. First time Lanier touches Delenn. Apparently they've never touched before, I guess. This silent moment at the end is the Lanier quote of the week. <laughs> And while we're talking about the end, Jakar's voiceover is bone-chilling. So if you stand in the bathroom with the door closed, turn off the lights and say, Kosh! Who would be the first person to say this? And say, Kosh, three times in the mirror, he will appear and warn you not to go to Zaha Doom. <laughs> How do you think the Candyman movie would have turned out with Kosh instead of uh, Tony Judd? Can't say I ever or, or Tony Todd. Uh, and so we meet the box's alleged counterpart. Although Justin's name lends itself to puns. He is the universe's crappiest salesperson ever. I'm with the dudes who determine hemline positioning and such. So join us because ultra Darwin capitalism is the best. <laughs> Reminds me of the those sex crazed I think you did it just for the just for spite, aliens. That the box calls them out on faux Anna. We should all remember to never trust someone with a palindrome for a name. <laughs> yeah, Pete. <laughs> what? <laughs> My name is Peter, not Ptep. <laughs> Going back to the email here. <laughs> then Justin is like, you got to listen or else. This dude is a flimsy foil to the box. So he is the other hand? No. Okay. A lot of people make that mistake because he does make a comment. Um, in fact, I wrote this down because I knew this was going to come up. When he says, some people think of me as sort of a middleman. And a lot of people interpret that as, oh, so he's the man in between. Mm -hmm. No, not the case. Not the case. Then why does he suck so much? <laughs> he goes from have some tea to you'll do what you're told in one conversation. The shadows have a compelling argument. JMS crams their entire philosophy into an unconvincing speech. Very rushed here. But JMS does not believe in taking time to explain the points of view of the rival first ones. Probably because they're all jerks. Except for Mr. TikTok and Zog. <laughs> one thing Zog we... isn't a jerk? <laughs> um, one thing we know is that they're all... Uh, wait, hold on. Why haven't we seen the Zog come through at all? Because they haven't called for him yet. Seems stupid. They're keeping that card until absolutely required. One thing we know is that they are old and out of touch. 
The shadows, however, could never predict the box's altruistic awesomeness. I guess the shadows also do not believe in planetary defense measures as the flaming plucked chicken plummets into the dome of their crappy-looking city like an ultra-crispy battered ten-piece at KFC, plunging into the 400-degree deep fryer. Jump! Save us, Mr. TikTok. Save us from all these crappy ancillary he characters. <laughs> He's not saying anything. <laughs> Sci-Fi 8 TV 5. You censor me when I make comments like that. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, listener Moneybags. He says, finally, a battle with the... Nope, sorry. That's my last episode. <laughs> If it weren't for the nukes, I would say this isn't worthy of being a season finale. With the exception of that scene, this felt more like a season opener. That Justin guy was really annoying. He talked with his hands way too much. A bunch of exposition which was pretty dull. Though to be fair, it was much more interesting the first time I saw it. And Anna Sheridan. Did the Shadows really think Sheridan was going to buy this? Does she even hug him once? Or cry after seeing her husband for the first time in five years? Oh, and Zaha Doom apparently has no aerial defenses. At all. Nor scanners to tell that he has a <laughs> weapon strapped to his ankle. Yeah. And isn't Justin the man in the middle referred to in the dream? No. No. I mentioned this in the dream episode, but I seem to recall Joey saying this was wrong. But Justin refers to himself as a middle man. Yeah. TV6, sci-fi 6. Alright, uh, Bob says, So despite all the warnings, Sheridan goes to Zaha Doom. Seriously, what an idiot. <laughs> but I guess it has to do with human curiosity and finding out what happened to his wife. I do, however, like the whole mythology surrounding the Vorlons and the Shadow. It is always good to get at a uh, to get a backstory so the universe uh, to the universe we are watching. A disappointment for me, however, is we don't get to see many visual battles in this episode. I mean, the shadows surround Babylon Five, and the tension is cranked up. Then it is a letdown. The end of the episode, which is interspliced between Sheridan crashing the White Star into Zaha Doom, and the shadows surrounding the station, is well edited and the cliffhanger is satisfactory. Although I was more concerned about what happened to Garibaldi rather than Sheridan. Hmm. I give it uh, a Sci-Fi 7 and TV 7. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that before. I think it's kind of interesting that that's really kind of how they focus that because you see Sheridan jump and you know one could look at it as you know what he was stalwart to the end. He would not give in to it even in the face of you know, certain doom, he still says, you know what, I am not going to go with what is safe. I am going to stand up for my convictions. I'll, I'll die. I'm, an, I'm just going to jump. It's better than siding with these people. Hmm. So I think that that's a reasonable way that you could come away from okay. that episode. Um, uh, I had watched this with you the first time, so I knew full well that that was not all there was to Sheridan. Thanks for destroying that. <laughs> waiting years to bring this out into the open and finally I have a forum with which to do well, so. We can't Stop that, spoiling things. We can't leave that in because now you've spoiled it for everyone who hasn't seen <laughs> it before yet. 
Uh, well, no one really is listening anymore <laughs> who hasn't already watched, so oh well. Um, what about posterity? <laughs> Are you going to make your kids listen to this while they watch Babylon 5? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to make them struggle, and this would be too much of an assistance and a help to them. I see, okay. I believe in the shadows. Uh, okay, Joey, what is your rating for science fiction? Uh, science fiction, I'm giving it a six. I, there was some good stuff, but just not an overwhelming amount of science fiction here. I disagree with you. Uh, I'm going to give this a nine. Wow. Because I really think that they did a great job with finally clarifying what the shadows stand for. I'm going to give that in TV, not in <clears throat> science fiction, though. Yes, but that's all about this race, this alien race. And we have, you know, the return of Anna Sheridan and how she interacts with him. Um, how she is used by the shadow to, to interact with him, I should say. Uh, we have Justin. We have those thermonuclear weapons. Uh, we have the White Star crashing in. We have Kosh showing up and saying, jump. Well, not showing up. We have vo the voice of Kosh saying, jump. And uh, I think that that is all a fantastic way of, of telling a science fiction story. Okay. I, I loved it. Uh, for television, I'm giving this an 8. I, a lot of the things that you just mentioned there, I considered more on the television aspect than on strictly on the science fiction mm. side. I would have given this probably an even higher television rating, but it feels like the episode has like three endings. I don't know if you felt that way as well, but every time I watch this, I always think, boy, the, the, the episode has too many endings. Oh, I just... I, 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 don't, I don't know how you fix it, but that's just my impression. And so I take a little bit of a it takes a little bit of a knock from me for that. Do you have a problem with the with the way they ended uh, the Lord of the Rings? I, I've always well, felt like they had too many endings. Well, to I, I totally disagree with you. I, I you're wrapping up various portions of the story that they are coming to a close, so to speak. I never had a problem with it in Lord of the Rings. As far as I was concerned, just keep telling that story on for ages. I'll continue watching. <laughs> Um, but in this one, I also give this an 8. I really think that this is good television. I think that even the weird stuff, which is the alien characters, are used in a reasonable fashion that people aren't just going to shut off and say, oh, stupid aliens, you know, this is dumb. No, I think that the acting was really quite good throughout this. I actually liked the character of Justin. Not liked him, but I enjoyed the way he was acted and portrayed. I too, yeah. And I thought that the graphics were all on par, exactly where they needed to be. Everything was completely believable to me. Obviously, there are some parts that are, yeah, yeah it's not great. So that's why it only gets an 8 for me. Okay. Uh, what's your uh, P5 rating? 9.73. Moving on to season wrap up. What do you think, Pete? How do you feel about this this season? Uh, great. Much, much better. Uh, Getting rid of Dutilio was the best thing they did. <laughs> Even the worst episodes of this season, I felt, didn't compare to like a TKO. <laughs> they came pretty close. <laughs> they really did. Um, well, I, I enjoyed this uh, season because this was more arc stuff. Yeah. The majority of this season was arc, which I feel like they should have been doing so much More, sooner. Yeah. Um, and you know maybe Straczynski, you know, 
was still trying to fill things out as to how the story was actually going to shake out. I don't know. I've never done a television series before, <laughs> but still, I, I would have loved to have had all of this stuff a, a heck of a lot sooner. You know, it's really interesting. In reading the script books, he talked a little bit in here. This is people are starting to head in, head into season four. I wanted people to get a basis of understanding of where he's coming from as he's writing season four. They had originally signed a contract to say that this was going to have a five-year run, but they still had to get renewed every year. Season three ends, and they feel like they've finally hit their stride as a show. They're getting great ratings. They've won two Hugo Awards. They're getting great critical reviews. And all of a sudden, the P10 network, where Babylon 5 was airing, collapses financially, falls apart. And... You know, he makes the point that, you know, let's look at some of the other shows that were airing on the P10 network at the time. Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. (laughs) (laughs) Time Tracks. (laughs) I don't know if you ever saw that one. Horrible. Um, There's like five or six other shows that were going on, and he's like, none of these shows were being successful, but we were. Unfortunately, all those shows dragged the whole network down so far to the point that financially it falls apart. Warner Brothers calls us up and says, look, you guys are making us so much money in uh, syndication and in merchandising. We are going to find a way to keep Babylon 5 on the air. We're going to make our own network, the WB. And we want Babylon 5 to be one of the headlining shows. So they go through all this stuff, and then they're like, okay, we saved saved the show. They call up the morning that, that... He's filming the, the, morning, the morning that they're filming Zahadun. They call him up. Well, Douglas Netter calls him up and says, Hey, Joe, just wanted to let you know, Warner Brothers just called me. Babylon 5 is dead. <laughs> what a horrible way <laughs> to deliver that message. There, there's, there's, you've got one more year. You're not going to get your fifth year. You've got to tell all the stories in the fourth year here. He says, "Well, what? What are you talking about? I thought we, you know, I thought we had just cleared this all up. Everything was going to be okay." Well, it turns out that the marketing department, no one told, or no, it wasn't the marketing department. No one told the accounting department that Babylon Five would be kept. They just assumed that all the shows that were part of P10 would be killed, and so they didn't allocate any money for it. And it's too late. There's no, there's no way to allocate any money for it. You're done. You're off the air. So they went out and got a personal loan. Well, they called up WB and said, is there any way we can get, you know, can you guys even like float us for, you know, a couple months so we can sign the, you know, lock up the actors, lock up the stages. Nope, we got nothing. He's like, come on, there's got to be a million dollars laying around in your sofa. You're Warner Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) So he, he, he and some other people that he didn't name went out and got a personal loan for enough money to survive for the first few episodes of season four while Warner Brothers gets through the quarter, their f- fiscal quarter, when they get into the next fiscal quarter, then they can reallocate, shuffle some money around. To g- they had to pull out a loan to get through season To get season four, four even filmed. Yeah. I thought they already had the money for season four. They thought they did too. And that's when Warner Brothers called up and said, oh, by the way, the accounting department spent all your money. Oh, oh I see. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what? <laughs> so they had to go out and get a personal loan to make the show even survive. And so a lot of the story that was supposed to last five years gets pulled into season four because they thought, you know what, this is it. This is our swan song. There will be no more Babylon 5. Let's just wrap it all up. 
and that's what that's what goes on here in season four. So just something that as you're watching season four, keep in mind that you know Straczynski is trying to tie up loose threads that he wanted to stretch for two more years. Okay, so now let's talk about season three. Yeah, we, I just kind of you know I think you could have done that next week. Wow. Well, I wanted the to introduction know. of four. Let's talk about three because season Let's three, talk about season three was really, really good. Yes. I think actors are hitting their stride so much better, and we're not seeing the suck fest that I saw from Claudia Christensen. Garibaldi sucks less. I still don't care about Franklin, but I think the actor seems better. Writing still doesn't seem super great for Franklin, in my opinion. Okay. But the like the crew of people I think are they're right where they need to be yeah they're right where they should be and it's seems like you know it's the traditional arc that a show will take as it goes out multiple years seems about by season three we figured out our characters and we have defined them and they are good and everybody is comfortable with them and everybody likes them Um, I think I'll talk about this when we get to uh, Firefly. We all seem to love Firefly, and it was great, and we love those characters, and we were all sad. But I wonder what would have happened come season three. How much better could it have been? Could it have been better? I think so. Or would it be more of a, oh, um, boy, season one was kind of crap. How, uh, boy, I can't believe we put up with that stuff. Well, yeah, I think that's where we would have been. And just think about now. With how good season one of Firefly was and how much better it could have definitely gotten. Mm, yeah. Um, okay, let's read some listener comments here. Okay. Because uh, the, the guy's all saying some stuff. Cool. Uh, we'll start with Brainy Smurf. He says, awards. Bit part goes to Zathras. <laughs> I don't consider Zathras a bit part. Really? Honestly, for me, Zathras is part of the main <laughs> core of people. He really okay. is. Okay. I mean... It, I know he doesn't get as much time as like Lanier and Veer. He's in like three I, episodes. I, I recognize he's you know he's down below, but he's he's super awesome. He is, but I still just consider him as part of the the crew. Um, favorite character Talon. Uh, most hated. <laughs> Can you guess Franklin? No, Kosh. Oh. <laughs> Of course, it's Brady's work. <laughs> yes. Uh, f- uh, favorite villain is Morden. Uh, hot chick. The blonde where everyone has went before. I would go there too. <laughs> Funniest moment. Vorlon in- uh, endorsed torture techniques and drunk Jakar. Uh, best episode? That was season two. What? Vorlon endorsed torture techniques? I don't know. I, I'm just reading go, what go he's ahead. got here. All right, go ahead. Uh, best episode, Interludes and Examination. The box rocks. <laughs> Worst episode, Walkabout. <laughs> I wish he would have walked into the Vorlon Spanish Inquisition room. <laughs> best character arc, Jakar. Worst character walkabout, Franklin. <laughs> Worst effort on self-defense, Kosh. Best moment, Talon waiting outside Jakar's quarters. Marcus, I am a ranger speech deserves honorable mention. Okay. Best heat moment. 
didn't even pre-read this. <laughs> Reciting the water cooler discussion between Zathras, Zach, Zog, Jakar, and Kosh. Well, I'm glad you appreciated that because it was torturous for me to have to read. Uh, best Joey moment. Semi-permeable membrane. <laughs> season brainy smurf uh thank you uh <laughs> brainy smurf that was good um okay listener money bags i have to say that season three was pretty disappointing there were some great episodes but not nearly enough about the shadow war in several jms quotes that joey has read he expresses regret that some plot lines such as drawl didn't get as much attention as he would have liked well, I could suggest some fat to trim from this season. <laughs> See my list of five worst episodes. I hope season four is as good as I remember, because season five, yeesh. So let me see if I understand the prophecy a bit better now. One, Sinclair is born. He has a Minbari soul. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Two, he goes back in time, becomes Valen, becomes half Mimbari, and Mimbari souls start being born in human bodies, including himself? <laughs> Delenn stops with, uh, three, Delenn stops this with her transformation. My head hurts. <laughs> it's like you with time travel. Yep. Well, this is all time travel. It's all related. He's, he's agreeing is, with are me. Are they related? They are. It's time travel. No, Delenn and Valen. Oh, maybe. <laughs> great, great grandfather. Um, anyway, here are my picks, uh, picks for best worst of season three. Favorite extra and bit part? Zathras. Favorite character? Sheridan. Favorite villain? Bester. Hot chick? The uh, mini packs woman who tries to sleep with Sheridan. And also an honorable mention to Anna Sheridan. Funniest moment. Don't damage his face. It will be needed for identification purposes. <laughs> also, the entire scene with Londo and Jakar in the elevator. Best moment. Nuking Zaha Doom. Top five hated episodes. A late delivery from Avalon. Gray 17 is missing. Exogenesis. Passing through Gethsemane. Ooh, I did not see that coming. And Sick Transit Veer. Wow. Mm-hmm. Top five favorite episodes. War Without End Part 1. War Without End Part 2. And The Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place. Severed Dreams. And Point of No Return. Interesting. Okay. Mm. I'm surprised by Point of No Return. I don't yeah. think I had that on mine. Uh, but I don't remember hating Point of No Return. Wait, which one was Point of No Return? Sort of Major Barrett. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay, so uh, money bags. thanks for uh, sending in uh, your thoughts. Bob, season three, from what I can remember, was solid. The standout episodes were the multiple episode arcs. Uh, as always, Walter Koenig is the standout guest for me, though I may put Michael O'Hare... Wow. 
Best episode, War Without Ends Part 1 and 2. Worst episode, Walkabout. Best character, Marcus Cole, an instantly likable Brit. <laughs> I don't know. Your wife seems to have an infatuation with him, Bob, so I'm not sure that you should be touting him as, you know, something great. Uh, worst character, um, Kaylin. Oh, the singer from Down Below. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't remember her name either. Uh, best storyline, The Shadow War. Worst storyline, Franklin Drug Addiction. Worst moment, dodgy miming in, um, in Walkabout. Dodgy miming? I guess when she was singing or something? That would be lip syncing, not miming. Oh, okay. Lip syncing makes more sense. Anyway, uh, best moment, Babylon 5 seceding from EarthGov. That's all for this week and maybe for a while. We'll email soon and uh, keep an eye out on Facebook. Bob, you're great. Thank you for sending yeah, stuff in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, let's get into our list. Okay. Well, the reason we have all gathered here today. <laughs> Pete, you start us off with bit part. Okay, this was tough for me. Again, I've mentioned I don't consider Zathras a bit, a bit part. part. I really, when I think of Babylon 5, Zathras is just right in there with like all of the main characters. I, I, I agree with you, but I think that that just indicates how strong of a bit part it was. Mm, maybe, maybe. So I, I, I'll mention I love Zathras, especially in the War Without End uh, uh, episodes. He yeah. was great. I loved him. Um, which, by the way, he would have actually been... He's been in four episodes thus far. Not just three, Mr. Smith. Not just what, three. What's the fourth? Uh, Babylon Squared. Yeah. Fourth item, part one and two. And then the episode where... Um, what's her name? Ivanova goes down to the planet. Did Zathras actually appear in that episode? Yeah. Zathras he was there. mentioned him. No, he was there. Okay. All right. He was there. Uh, anyway... Here are my two, and I kind of need your help in deciding which okay. one I like here. My two are Brother Edward and Lady Morella. I really enjoyed what both of these actors brought to these roles. Okay. While I didn't love, you know, the episode uh, Passing through Gethsemane. Gethsemane, you know, I, for me, I just felt it was a little overdone with the whole, you know, atoning for one's sins. Yeah, I, I still like the episode, but the actor, um, yes, he really is fantastic. He is. Now, when you compare to the other person I mentioned, Lady Morella, we have Majel Barrett, uh, Majel Roddenberry, who we all know doesn't act well. <laughs> and I think some of that comes down with the whole, she's played the over-the-top uh, role as... Um, Loaxana. Loaxana Troy. Thank you. She does a really good job in I this. Think she does too, yeah. In fact, I have her... And I want to recognize her... I have her as an honorable mention. So oh, okay. I think she. I think she gets the nod for me. Um, you know, I, I think that I guess, while I loved Majel, I guess I'm going to give this to Brother Edward. <laughs> what? <laughs> you ask me for my help, I give it to you, and you go the other way. <laughs> Screw you, man! <laughs> I do it so often, I just it becomes a habit. There really was a 
frenzy and completely tech. subconscious. <laughs> oh, that's so hilarious. I've done it for so long now. <laughs> just, it's a part of why, me. Why do I even try? Why do I even try? You, but you did help me in making my decision because I was kind of on the fence there. You helped me talk it through. Okay. By the way, what none of you saw was as soon as I said Brother Edward, Joey flipped me off. I was like, wait, why are you flipping me off? Did I just take your choice? Which I didn't think I had. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, I like Brother Edward. He was creepy in all of the right places that he needed to be creepy, and he was good in all of the right places yeah. that he needed to be good. And, and he was—he did a great job. That was a good choice. I'm going to go with Zathras. Yes, I, I'm. I completely see why you yeah. would go with Zathras. He stole the show for me. Absolutely. In, in those episodes, he really did a great job. Um, okay, your hated character. Julie Masante, the woman from Mini Packs. As I mentioned, oh, I actually had to pause her? the screen. I just wanted to choke mm-hmm. the life out of her. Interesting. She's so snide and and just the way that the evil just rolls <laughs> off of that character. <laughs> Drives me crazy. You hated her. Uh, you're not going to like my choice for hated character. Did you pick Kosh too? <laughs> <laughs> so funny if I had. Uh, no, I'm going to choose Franklin. Oh, yeah. Okay. I just really didn't care for anything that he was in this season. Just didn't work for me. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Favorite villain, Pete? <laughs> um, you know what? I am going to pull it, uh, pick the political officer, the mini-pax woman, okay. because for all of the reasons you just pointed <laughs> out, we are supposed to hate her. She is not good in any degree at all. She is a horrible person. Yeah. And she brought everything out in me that just, it made me angry to see her there on the screen. And she nailed that role as the That's villain. That's true. That's true. Nailed it. Uh, I'm going to give it to Justin. The guy who oh. gives us all the exposition, the shadow side of the story. I, I know that, I can't remember which one of our listeners didn't care for him. I think he did a great job. I really enjoyed the, the job that he did in that. He's clearly a villain that is, I mean, he's straddling the fence of kindly old grandpa to, you know, guy that uh, is potentially holding a gun to your head. Yeah. You know, it's clearly a villain. Yeah, good choice. Uh, okay, who's your hot chick? I'm going to go with Sherry Shattuck, the Julie Masante. Uh the political officer? The mini-packs lady, mm-hmm. yeah. Although I, I agree with, I think it was Bob or somebody who said, honorable mention has to go out to Melissa Gilbert. Not a bad-looking woman. <laughs> um, okay, so I had written two. The political officer and Anna Sheridan. <laughs> and I have to give this to Anna Sheridan, oh, to really? Melissa okay. Gilbert, because honestly I have had a crush on her since... Um, Little House, Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> I have always thought that she was beautiful. Uh, I, you know, as a younger kid, you know, she's got the buck teeth, but she grows into the teeth. And you know, towards the end of Little House on the Prairie, she is smoking hot, really, really hot. 
She, she's a very good-looking woman. I think she got a little bit of a knock from me for being a redhead. I've never been a... Yeah, she her, she changed her hair color in this, okay. and it's true. I've never been a redhead. In Little House on the Prairie, I... <laughs> you have been a redhead. That's <laughs> true, I have. I've never been a fan of redheads, more accurately stated. Uh, in Little House on the Prairie, I think she was... Uh, she, she had Brunette. brown hair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, funniest moment, Pete. Funniest moment. Quote... I think you were about to go where everyone has gone before. <laughs> Close quote. I, nice. when I, I mean, that's hilarious because, one, it's funny uh, to have Ivanova saying that in that situation. Yeah. And she's, they're using a Star Trek yeah, line. Yeah, Star Trek, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, that was great. Uh, that came from the episode Voices of Authority. So that was mine. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go with, cannot run out of time. You are finite. Zathus is finite. This is wrong tool. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of what Zathra said is really so funny. Uh, That particular piece of that conversation, after I watched Babylon 5, whenever I, the very first time, whenever I sat down to think, what was one of my favorite moments of Babylon 5? I always come back to that conversation because the way he says it, it's like he's leading into this is finite, but then he just makes this mental leap over to. This is wrong tool. <laughs> Wasn't he talking to himself? At he was that talking point? to Ivanova. Oh, he was. She said, talking we have to, to hurry. Ivanova. We're going to run out of time. And that's when he says, "Oh, you, no, you, you can't run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> time is infinite." He says. <laughs> uh, okay, we have your hated episodes. Go ahead and okay. give it to us, Joey. Uh, number five: A Day in the Strife. This is the berserker thing that's outside the ship and it's going to blow up if they don't. Oh, you know, how did I completely forget about that? And that one really should have been on my list. <laughs> Huh. I guess I just didn't... Wow. Okay. I completely forgot about that one. Uh, number four is Ceremonies of Light and Dark. These are okay. the really dumb bad guys. These mm-hmm. are just not good bad yeah. guys. Uh, number three, Grey 17 is missing. <laughs> Unfortunate. But it is terrible. Uh, number two is Convictions, the Mad Bomber episode. <laughs> and number one, Exogenesis. <laughs> This is Spinal Tap Monster. <laughs> I also, for the first time ever, I'm going to give dishonorable mentions. Ship <laughs> uh, of Tears and A Late Delivery from Babylon. Mm. Not, not great episodes, in my opinion. That's interesting. Ship of Tears was on my... Uh, favorite? My favorite wow. list. Well, it does have Bester in it. Yeah. But the whole premise just never worked for me mm. from the first time I watched it. Interesting. Okay, um, so let's see here. Uh, number five, Sick Transit Veer. Really? Again? I didn't care for what they did with Veer okay. in this whole thing. Yeah, okay, fine. We have him now back on the show. I think you can do a much better job at bringing him back on. Mm-hmm. I just felt heavy-handed. Okay. Number four is, you're right on, Ceremonies of Light and Dark. Tank. Um, number three is convictions. Okay. Did not care for convictions. You have walked about up higher. <laughs> uh, number two is a late delivery from Avalon. Wow, really? Yes. I in no, the I end mean, that, that's my that's bad. Yeah. The, okay. the whole thing just reeked of stupidity. Okay. Uh, and in a three-way tie for first... <laughs> oh, that's how you're going to pull it out. <laughs> it was like, how did, how did Late Delivery for Avalon get so high? Because I know what's left on the list. 
tie, a three-way tie for worst is Exogenesis, Grey 17, and Walkabout, all in no particular order. <laughs> they all stunk for me. Okay. As I mentioned, they really should have just combined Grey 17 and Walkabout, the good stuff in there, and taken out the others. And should have just never written Exogenesis in the first yeah. place, and then have 20 episodes this season. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Your favorite episode, Pete. <laughs> Sorry, I cheated there. I know. <laughs> um, favorite episode. Uh, this one was tough. Uh, I think this may have been the first time that I had more favorite episodes on my list than I had hated episodes. Yeah. So, I mean, really, I, I really enjoyed a lot of this stuff this season. Uh, uh, dust to Dust, Messages from Earth, Matters of Honor didn't get ranked here, but they were on the list. Number five, Interludes and Examinations. I really enjoyed that. Number four is Severed Dreams. Okay. Uh, I, that one was fun. Uh, number three is And the Rock. Really? Okay. Uh, Cried Out No Hiding Place. It was, I, I've mentioned, I, I really gushed over the way that they did that whole um, music yeah. uh, cut in. It was super. Uh, number two is Zaha Doom. I really enjoyed this final season episode. It was great. I, uh, acting and sci-fi really just came together well for me. And then um, my favorite episode, War Without End, part, part one. Oh, okay. Wow, really? It was part, part one? Yeah, part two, if you remember, I didn't care for. I, 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 I was okay. way too confused with all of the different jumpings that they were doing here. And so I, couldn't, I didn't feel right combining them together and because I really loved so much about War Without End, part one. It really was super. Really super. So, our lists are eerily similar here. Uh, I've got number five, Interludes and Examinations. Okay. Number four, Severed Dreams. <laughs> okay. Number three, War Without End, part two. Okay. Number two, Zahadum. <laughs> and number one, And the Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We really were quite yeah. close. <laughs> Have we ever had a list that was exactly the same on our favorites? Have. I don't think so. Right. I think that's probably as close as we've ever been. Mm, maybe. I bet season five of TNG we might have come really close. Because that was be. in, yeah. uh, Inner Light and um, Darmok. Darmok, yeah. So I, I bet we were close there. Um, okay, Joey, your favorite moment. And I know you were moaning. Wait. <sighs> we forgot to put Worst Alien costume up there. No. No, we didn't. You didn't mention Worst Alien Costume when I asked you for the list of categories, and it belongs on there. It's not on the list. It's the Zarg. How can it not be the Zarg? Okay. Right. You have your... You can mention... Is there anything else you would like to mention about how, what you didn't like about this season? Now is the time to do so. We'll just call that Joey's Hated Bucket. <laughs> I just... How did you skip that? I... I you know we've seen, we've seen all of the aliens. And, and as far as I'm concerned, we named the worst one, which was the the puppet thing in season one. <laughs> the graph? Yes. <laughs> you thought the puppet thing was worse than the Zarg? Oh. Yeah. I, I'd say they're equally bad. I don't think I could say one's worse than the other. They're both pretty awful. Yeah. Or wait, were you talking about Sinclair? <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Sinclair. I've never considered him a, a okay. puppet. That was brainy smart. Uh, favorite overall moment? Yeah, you had a tough time with this, you I were did. saying. I'm still having a tough time. I've got four on here. <laughs> How about if I help you choose? 
with that, you tell me your three favorites. <laughs> um, so and they're not in any particular order here, other than this is just the way I wrote them down. Uh, Delin to the rescue in Severed Dreams. Mm. Holy crap! I completely forgot about that one. Are you serious? Uh, yes. <laughs> Because yeah. it's an awesome line. It really is. Very, oh, I'm gonna very have powerful. to re- We're gonna have to pause for a minute while I redo my list. Because <laughs> I'm not sure. I okay. Go on. Go on. Okay. Uh, Sheridan confronting Kosh in interludes and examinations. Oh, Get okay. off your encounter-suited butts and do something. Okay. That whole interaction between those two characters right there, especially when we come to find out later that it was Kosh's fear of dying. He knew what was coming. The next one, and I realize that I'm alone on this, but as I said, the, the scene with Franklin at the end of Shadow Dancing where he talks about, you know, we can't fall asleep in our own lives. We have to take advantage of the moments. Yeah, you are alone. Uh, but I think... I don't know. Okay, I've narrowed it down to two. Okay, the last one on the well, list... Well, at least mention the last one. The last one. one on the list is Jakar's voiceover to end the season. Oh, you know, okay. Um, the future is all around us. Waiting to be born. We, no one knows the shape of that future or where it will take us. We only know that it is born in pain. It is a great piece of dialogue. And I think I'm probably going to... Uh, well, so that one and the Dillon to the rescue Go with are my top two. I think Dillon. Um, it's such the, a defining moment of the season. It, it really is. But the, the, the thing about the Jakar quote that makes it rise to the top a little bit is in the script book. Uh, where J. J. Michael Straczynski talks about he'd finished the entire script for the you know he finished the season script except for he knew he wanted a voiceover and he thought okay it's going to have to be Jakar if I have a voiceover it's got to be Jakar because Andreas delivers my best voiceovers consistently he's got he always gets my best lines he just says I didn't know how, what I was going to do I had no idea what I was going to write and I I turned the script in and went to bed because I'd been up for like thirty six hours straight. Went to bed, and right as I'm about to fall asleep, I just heard Jakar's voice as clear as day deliver this line of dialogue. Got up, ran to my computer, typed it out, one draft, sent it, and it is exactly how it is. And then he talks about how this ended up being Andreas's favorite moment of his own mm. from Babylon 5, to the extent that when they had the memorial service for Andreas, his wife had gotten permission to use this dialogue as in a uh, as the closing lines of a video, a memorial video that they made about Andreas, because this summed up Andreas's view on life, you know, on what had what he had just gone through. Interesting. Um, but I'm, I, at the end, I'm, I think you're right. It's Delenn. So let's go ahead and let's hear to Delenn. Good thing this stopped when it did. We couldn't take much more. Oh, no. This is Captain Drake to Babylon 5. You are ordered to surrender and prepare to be boarded by order of President Clark. Captain. Jump points forming right on top of us. How many? Four. This is Ambassador Dillon of the Minbari. Babylon 5 is under our protection. Withdraw. Be destroyed. Negative. We have authority here. Do not force us to engage your ship. Why not? Only one human captain has ever survived battle with the Minbari fleet. He is behind me. You are in front of me. If 
you value your lives, be somewhere else. Yeah, I, I, I giggle <laughs> every yes, time I do that. After listening to her come through and just scare the living daylights out of all of these people. <laughs> Sends it with his packing. <laughs> it is just such a powerful thing. You know, he is behind me. You are in front of me. Yeah. I loved that. Really loved that. Uh, good choice. Good choice, Thanks. by the way. And thank you for reminding me about it because I had clearly forgotten. <laughs> Um, okay, here's the ones that I had. Uh, we'll just assume that I had included that as the ones I was going to mention here. Um, I had come up with uh, the ones I really liked were um, Narun and okay. Marcus. Yeah. Uh, when they have their final conversation in the hospital bed, I really enjoyed that. It was nice to see Narun not as just a one-dimensional bad guy. He has blossomed a little bit as a character and I really He's liked that. Some depth, yeah. mm-hmm. Even though that came out of Grey 17, <laughs> it was still good. Um, number two... <laughs> I guess it's number two. Uh, it's the second one I'm mentioning. No particular order. <laughs> Brother Malcolm and Sheridan at the end of Gethsemane. Okay. Where Brother Malcolm comes out and says, Hi, I'm Brother Malcolm and uh, I just arrived here and this is really a neat place. And Sheridan is fuming mad because this Malcolm guy had just killed his friend, Brother Edward. Yeah. And it, is, it just tears him up inside. And Brother Theo teaches <laughs> our good uh, captain here to help him understand, you know what? He was just, you know, trying to understand something here. You interrupted, you interrupted him. <laughs> Please forgive him. Uh, that's really, really powerful stuff. That's good stuff. I agree. That makes a much better audio clip than what I think is my favorite moment here, which is the killing of Rifa. I... We could listen to the song. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we should. Uh, uh, Everyone's heard it, and I I don't want to, you know, there's no great exposition or... Sure, yeah. But that is powerful filming. It really is. You see the panic on his face as he's learned from, you know, the Londo just telling him, you know what, I've just set you up. And these guys know that you're the one that came up with the idea to bomb Narn. And now they're going to kill you. They'd like to thank you. <laughs> and it is when they cut to the music and you see him just running with sheer panic. Of you know scrambling to get out of there and runs into the the wall of Narn that are coming down the corridor and he runs back the other way and they finally all swarm him and, and grab him. That is powerful television for me. Yeah, I, I really really love it. I actually I, I would agree with you that that's probably the best moment of the season. But like you, I said, oh, it doesn't make great listening. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm just gonna you know we won't have a, a an audio clip for me. At this time, I don't think there's really any okay. necessary because I don't necessarily need to have any of the other stuff. That really is the favorite moment of this season for me, and I don't want to trade it off to something else. Okay. I know we've done that in the past, but I'm we, we listened to Delenn. I'm I'm comfortable with you know the choosing <laughs> we'll that as my that. surrogate uh, uh, <laughs> moment. So really, really super, great, great job for uh, for this season. Okay, Pete. Any comments as we head into season four? Uh, no, I'm just looking forward to uh, learning a little bit more about this arc here. And, you know, definitely I'm hoping we're going to get the, the answer to my question, how is Kosh going to save Sheridan? <laughs> um, yeah, what, what about you? Uh, 
Well, I, I, I think I shared my thoughts is just that, you know, remember that this is, they're, they're wrapping things up. He was trying to wrap up what he thought would be the last season of the show. So, you know, keep that in mind as you go. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So, until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.